Hello, this is the We Are SE podcast. This is Eric McKinney. Today we're talking with uh, Greg Katz. And Greg, how are you doing today? Everything's looking good. I'm excited. Let's talk some SC football. That, let's, let's jump into it. We're going to go straight into spring ball. Uh, take a look at the offense where we're going to preview. We still have uh, a few days here. We're, we're counting down the days. It, it seems like we haven't gotten to real football in a long time. And I know a five and seven season every day feels almost like an entire year when you're trying to get back on the field and, and fix five and seven. And so they're going to get started with that. Uh, once spring ball kicks off here and we're going to jump right into the offense. I, I think we, before we go to the offense, I think we'll, we'll hit on the big all caps kind of position here and that's coaching. Um, let, let's get into it, Greg, I, I, as a former coach, what are you looking for? And we can talk specifically, uh, Clay Helton, we can talk specifically some of the changes that are coming in. Obviously, offensively, the, the big topic is going to be the entire system. Um, we, we've heard from Clay Helton about we were a little sort of mishmashy in what we were doing. And you, you hope with the addition of Graham Harrell, it becomes a absolute crystal clear, this is what the offense is, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to do well. So I'm curious, when you show up for spring ball, what are you looking at in terms of coaching and sort of just an overall functionality of, of what's going on with the program? Well, the first thing I'm going to look at is uh, what their practice plan is for putting in a whole new system and how they're going to, how they're going to build it. Uh, another thing that I'm going to be looking for is do the new coaches that have never been in this system, such as Tim Drevno, offensive line coach, uh, how will he adjust and will he look confident teaching what he needs to teach? Because the players, is all new to the players on offense. It's, uh, obviously, uh, Kerry Colbert is a wide receiver coach, but he has an idea about uh, you know route trees and those sort of things. But how does he adjust? to the nuances of the new offense because you know there's the old saying the head coach is supposed to teach the assistant coaches the system in this case it's the head coach is running a system that he has little familiarity with other than the fact that they throw the ball a lot so the question is is how much can uh graham harrell uh teach his assistants now the good news i think is that when you have a running back like mike jinks who who coached with Kingsbury and is familiar with the system, uh, at least from a backfield standpoint, the transition should be uh, should run smoothly. And the fact, of course, is that Harold is also going to be the quarterback coach. But it's really about, to me, starting off slowly and being confident in what you're teaching. Not so much uh, that they're looking like they're ready for the first game against Fresno State, but just how they build upon it. And another side factor to me is, how much involvement is Clay Helton going to be? Because he can't uh, give off the uh, the idea that he knows everything about this offense. He's not going to be able to tap dance his way through it, probably because, in my opinion, uh, you know, there's been a lot of skepticism about the USC offense in the past. So obviously, uh, Helton is kind of reaching a lifeline out here to get a new offense to maybe, uh, to be totally honest with you, to save his job. So uh, that's kind of my perspective from a, from the coaching standpoint. Uh, I do think one of the things that's going to be interesting is, is what Clay Helton said at his signing day press conference, where he's going to be a lot more hands off and let the coordinators go front and center. And that means 
Graham Harrell, who's also going to coach the quarterbacks and has a little bit of a, a quarterback. I, I, I'm not going to say situation until it becomes a situation. You have a returning starter and, and we'll, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go in a little bit when we get to quarterbacks with the idea of quarterback competition, but uh, with how focused Graham Harrell's going to have to be on sort of all aspects if he's putting in this system, uh, spending time with sort of each position and how that looks and, and where coaches are kind of spending their time. But I, I'm going to be I, – I don't even know if I'm going to say that I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think I'm, I'm really optimistic about watching Graham Harrell put this offense in and really Clay Helton sort of finally embracing what I think he's wanted to do um, for a while. I, I don't know if it's an exact sort of metaphor, but my, my wife had a story. Her grandfather, um, whenever he'd come back from Chicago, would bring those Frango mints, and they would sit in the in the cabinet for sort of months. Uh, and then his wife would go have some. It, they would look like the box was fully sealed and full, and he had been cutting out from underneath the cardboard and, and pulling mints out sort of one by one. And, and I feel like, I feel like there's some of that, like this offense has been sort of, we, we want to do some air raid. We want to open things up. We want to throw the ball all over, but I still have to pretend a little bit like we want to be a physical run first thing. Look, let's just get this thing out of the cabinet, tear it open and, and go to town on these mints. Right. I mean, it's, it's one of those things you have, quarterbacks that can throw the ball you have a ton of wide receivers let's let's open this thing up and see how it goes I I think that if you get to a point where it's like look this didn't work now you've got to figure it out again you've you've got to deal with having eaten an entire box of of chocolates uh but but I do think there's some sort of you know maybe a little a, a little bit of relief from a lot of guys that know now this is where we're going. Let's embrace it. Let's go full speed ahead with this and really kind of let, let's see what happens. Well, I think that, um, I think we're all, uh, relieved that they have what appears to be a true system. I don't think in the past there was ever the sense that the system was Sam Darnold and Sam was going to bail him out of everything. And so you, you were less distracted with what, what was the system. Now you always know what the system is, because the next players to replace Darnold should be running that system. And I don't even think that there was a system, uh, you know, in terms of Helton, even he admits it was like a gumbo offense. Well, he's the person in charge of the offense. He always reminds us that he's, you know, a quarterback coach by trade and that, you know, the offensive play calling is what he likes doing. So, you know, from that standpoint, you know, we know what they're going to do. The question becomes how well can they do it early on in the season? And the question becomes, we have seen this type of offense before uh, in the sense that Cal has, you know, Sonny Dykes there and it works against teams that uh, you can out talent. Uh, the question is what happens when you, when you run up against the Washington's now, I'm not going to say it won't work. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, open, I'm open-minded to it. Uh, another key factor to remember is that for the last three years, they've recruited for some sort of system. And people are always saying now, uh, well, you know what? The talent is, is best suited for this system. Well, it, 
you know, going back to your point, maybe this is what maybe this is what Helton wanted. Uh, maybe that he was actually, uh, you know, recruiting for this system all along. I don't know if I actually agree with that, but it is what it is at the moment. So if it works to the talents that they have, uh, you know what? Everybody in Cardinal and Goldland will be happy. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think this is one of those systems that can be sort of a, a quarterback maker. Um, you, you see these quarterbacks get in this system and then they put up. And, and again, we're talking air raid generally. This is going to be obviously a specific to USC air raid. It's not going to look like Mike Leach's air raid or, or some of those, you know, throwing the ball 75, 80 times a game. And Clay Helton has sort of been up front with that, that he likes the fact that there's a running game. And if, and if you go back and look at numbers um, at North Texas with Graham Harrell there, it, it, it does get backed up, you know, that, that they do run um, for, for a good amount of yards. And it absolutely is a part of the offense. But what quarterbacks are able to do in this kind of offense with sort of quick throws and really designed to give them some easy decisions and some guys just running wide open. Um, It's going to be – spring ball, I think, is going to be looking a ton at what the quarterbacks are doing. And, again, when you have a returning quarterback, you usually assume, like, hey, we're going to give him, you know, all the opportunities to step in, especially a guy who didn't get spring ball last year and JT Daniels stepped into the starting spot. Uh, in the fall as a true freshman. But with a new system, as Clay Helton said, every position is open. And when you say every position is open, obviously all the attention is going to be on. That means the quarterback position is open. And you have two guys who played last year, obviously not nearly as much as JT Daniels did. But but I'm going to go ahead and throw out two words to you, quarterback competition, and then speaking to you in the past, I don't know if this is one of those I'm going to hang up and listen things or I'm going to duck and cover things because I I know you have some (laughs) thoughts about the upcoming quarterback competition here during this spring ball. Well, uh, you know, I'm a kid from the 60s, 1960, so I have to tell it like it is. I I would feel guilty if I didn't tell it like it is. (laughs) My, My biggest question is, is the credibility of the competition. I don't think anybody last year was shocked or surprised that when it was all said and done, JT Daniels was the starter. You know, he didn't, he didn't study and go through a whole year and pack it all in with, uh, I don't know how many millions of classes he took. It's almost like uh, Helton was obligated to take him. Now, that being said, the expectations coming out of high school, I thought were legitimate. Okay. I don't think it was JT Daniels fault last year that they had, the issues that they had on offense. Uh, example given, uh, you had Key Martin for the first, uh, you know, two thirds of the season, and he he basically was the blame for it. And then Helton took over, and nothing changed. So you have to take that into consideration. But the point of your question was competition. Is it really going to be competition? And you know, even though there's all these. Supposedly all the positions are open on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Players know first if there is real competition. They are already in their mind formulating who's good and who's not good. So the question becomes, is J.P. Daniel going to be the starter because this is just who Clay Hilton wants? And how much um, 
how much authority will Graham Harrell have? The, you know, I, I don't think there was much question if Kingsbury was the offensive coordinator because Kingsbury had been a head coach. He had the age factor. Is Helton going to sit there and say, I'm going to let this 33, 34-year-old, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it all on him? How much input is, is – what, what happens if, if, let's just say, if Harrell says, I think that Jack Spears is the better quarterback at the end of spring? Is Helton going to sit there and go, okay. Now, I think Helton's in a, in a very uh, uh, difficult position not to say it's okay because he's relying on this offense carrying him through to be the coach beyond 2019. So I'm going to be looking to see when I watch, is what I'm seeing going to translate into who's going to start? Now, Daniels, you know, he, he's going to be fine because he's smart. He'll look around. But that doesn't mean he's the best quarterback for the system. When I looked at film of North Texas, that quarterback did a lot of rolling out, a lot of scrambling. And Jack Sears, to me, is definitely, if you are going to have a playing field of competition, he's a threat. question becomes is what happens with Matt Fink. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen with Matt Fink. I mean, when he's got in there, He's throwing the ball better than he has at any time in his career. And, you know, is it possible that he could come out of nowhere and you say, you know, for this system, you know, I'll give you an example. Like when Troy Aikman uh, was in college, he was at the wishbone and he just really didn't fit in at all. So the system wasn't for him. He transferred to UCLA and all of a sudden he becomes, you know, one of the great quarterbacks in the history of UCLA football and obviously a great. So the system, the system does make a difference. You know, Daniels might be good in the system. You know, Jack Sears might be really good in the system. But is he going to get that opportunity or is it just lip service? And that's, that's my biggest concern about the competition, the quarterback. And the rest of the team will watch this in scrimmages and everything else. They will see. Plus, one other factor that I don't think gets talked about enough is the leadership. Is Daniels going to be able to lead in the huddle? Is he a leader? Uh, is, is the better leader Jack Sears? I mean, there's been a lot of rumors about that Jack, uh, you know, the players wanted Jack to be the quarterback last year after his, uh, you know, pretty good uh, debut there against Arizona State. Is it going to be unification of the team or is, it going, is there going to be uh, dissension on the team based on the decision? It'll be fascinating. I don't know if they're really going to name the quarterback at the end of spring. Uh, and that's what's a concern to me because uh, I think they're worried about maybe Fink transfers out or, or Sears. I don't think Sears will transfer out. I think, I think Sears is going to get his degree. Now, what happens after this year, I, I wouldn't predict. That's, I think Sears could be a, could be a portal person. But we'll, we'll see. I think the idea of – and again, we're talking about the beginning of spring and we're just going to jump ahead to the end of spring. I think the idea of not naming a starting quarterback coming out of spring is, is really an interesting idea to tackle. I think this team going into this season needs a ton of leadership. And I think that you get that from, ha- from knowing who your starting quarterback is going through the the you know, the player only workouts and the throwing sessions over the summer. And so potentially not having a, a starter there, which I, I don't disagree with. I, I don't necessarily think that he absolutely will name a starter coming out of spring. 
but it is you know the the potential to not have that leader there and, and clay elton has said he likes the fact that a lot of his offensive linemen are becoming leaders and a lot of the big guys are becoming leaders and, and that's fine um but but really especially at usc the face of your team is going to be your starting quarterback and, and i think that makes this whole thing um this whole thing really interesting to to see sort of what happens i i think I, I agree with you. The idea of, of dumping five and seven in that season on JT Daniels, a true freshman who had just go, gone through all that and, and jumped in and grabbed the, the starting position. I, I think a lot of that's unfair. And again, for a five and seven team, the most popular player is going to be your backup quarterback. I mean, it's how it, it always is whenever there's sort of a struggle going on with the entire team. So I'm really interested to see JT come out for his first spring with some experience under his belt and, and see how he looks. But I, you know, you, you can't really fault what Jack Sears did during his playing time. And even, you know, Matt Fink in, in his sort of tiny amount of, of experience, it was, you know, different that it was a different Matt Fink on the field than what you had seen maybe in practice or anticipated uh, coming in. I, I think what's interesting is that Clay Helton has another, quarterback discussion going on I mean if you look back at the Max Brown Sam Darnold how that played out you I mean it's it's not difficult to say uh that that was eventually the wrong decision maybe at the time it felt like this is the way we need to go but uh, yeah it, it, it's obvious that Sam Darnold wound up being the guy that that maybe should have started from the beginning I think last fall you had sort of a lot of thoughts of, hey, maybe if JT Daniels had been named earlier, gotten more of the starting reps and, and, and the throws and reps weren't split so evenly, maybe he could have developed a little bit more of a relationship with his wide receivers, gotten into the offense a little bit faster. You have another quarterback. Well, I, think that, I think, yeah, I think, you know, from my perspective, I think what you're saying, you know, it definitely has validity. Uh, my my feeling was is in terms of last year's offense, uh, I don't even think they really even knew what they were doing on offense. And you know, I'm I don't think that I'm saying anything earth shattering. You know, first of all, the, it seemed like their passing game was basically throw the ball downfield and have great wide receivers that could high point the ball. There was no, uh, uh, it seemed like there was no route running. Uh, there was no concepts about it. It was like, uh, let's heave it there and, uh, you know, uh, the old Juju Smith, he'll go up and get it, or Michael Pittman will go up and get it. And uh, that constitutes, the, the, you know, the offense and the passing attack. I think they have a true system here. And this is, this is why I think it's intriguing, because these quarterbacks are going to be fitting into a system. I'm always amused at, at people that criticize quarterbacks because they'll say, well, he's only good because he's in a system. Well, that's a good thing, because when you're in a system – you know what you're doing, and everybody else that's watching knows what you're doing. Uh, you know, I mean, it's fun to watch Sam Donald run around, you know, and, and make, you know, incredible plays. But really in a system, uh, you know, take a look at Matt Leinart. He was in a system, you know, and uh, he was successful. Uh, you know, Barkley, he was in a system, and, you know, and he was effective. So the system really does um, make a difference. And I'm intrigued. I, the thing that I have is a red flag for me in the quarterback deal. It, it gets back to Helton. I just, I'm, I'm concerned that JT Daniels, and I believe the players think it, that, uh, that he's the favorite. 
and there is a sense that maybe Helton plays favorites. And this would be a great time to, to disprove that, that, that Helton is basically hands-off. Uh, because if all things were equal, then I guess you would say JT Daniels should be the quarterback. If all things are equal. But if, if Fink or, or Sears really shows that, they, that they're actually the better quarterback in this system, is Helton going to just say, they earned it, that's the starter? Uh, but like we talked about earlier, I don't know if they're really going to name a starter at the end of spring because I think politically you don't know how it's going to affect the other two quarterbacks that don't get the job. I thought that was an issue last year too, and I think that's why they waited the last minute to make sure that nobody transferred out. And I think we'd be remiss. I mean, I don't think uh, incoming freshman Keaton Slovis is, is probably in the mix to compete for a starting spot this year, but it's always nice to get another quarterback on campus a little bit early. And I think he's going to be sort of interesting to watch how he fits. This was a guy that did not, you know, did not commit when he knew that they were going to this new system. So I think he'll be kind of interesting to see how he fits in, especially again, looking down the road, coming in in between JT Daniels and potentially Bryce Young in the 2020 class, I, I think it'll be uh, kind of fun to see how he fits in here in the spring. But I, again, I think there's going to be a ton of attention paid yet again to that quarterback spot here in the spring. And without giving all of our time to that, we're going to jump a little bit to, to running back now. Um, and again, like I mentioned, running back is not a, a forgotten position in this offense. And it's a good thing because once again, USC is going to come into the season with three really talented guys, two guys who have proven it on the field already. And then a young guy in Marquis Stepp who in basically one game last year and kind of limited touches, he, he had a few people kind of opening their eyes and saying, hey, who's, who's this guy? And so I think these are three – uh, running backs who give you some different things and can fit into this offense well. I think Stephen Carr, um, to me, is one of those guys where it's like if he is is back, if he is healthy and he looks like he did as a true freshman, I, I think he's potentially the, the the best player in this system and a guy who can really take advantage of what this system will do, getting him out in space, letting him sort of run at at uh, undermanned defensive fronts uh, and really putting him one-on-one -on -one against linebackers. I, I don't know how much you push a guy like that in spring, but then again, I don't know if you as a team sort of have the cachet built up to take it easy during spring. So, so I think there's going to be an interesting mix of having to go hard to prove that you're really moving forward and also, you know, not, not wanting to run guys into a wall. Um, too early but but I think the running back position is in really good hands and, and I'm interested to see actually how it fits and what kind of damage these guys can do uh here, here in the spring and, and really kind of as a taste of what they could do in the fall well I, I think that uh you know while justifiably so the quarterback situation is the marquee competition of spring on either side of the ball uh in terms of individuals I think that running back is not far behind. And the reason I say that is, uh, you know, you put it aptly, you have three running backs in Carr, Amalapai, and Step, who all bring something. Now, if it was the Stephen Carr that I felt was 100% healthy, 
I would agree that he would appear to be the best person uh, in the, in that offense. However, I don't know why. I don't think Malapai gets the respect that he should get. I think every time he's carried the ball, he's great. I think every time he comes out of the backfield, he can catch. So I don't want to underestimate what he could do. But the unique, the wild card to me is Marquise Step, which really he really reminds me of Lindale White. And that changes the whole complexion for a defense because this guy, once he gets a step, no pun intended, uh, I think he could be really, really good. And the question becomes is, again, which one of these three running backs will be the most effective in a system? I don't particularly like rotating running backs all over the place. I mean, I mean it was, I'm glad that Cedric Aquaware had, had the season he had and the other guys, but I think to get a rhythm, a guy has to be in there a number of times. I think the good news is is uh, we know that, that, that Carr can catch. We know that Malapai can catch. We need, to see, we need to see more of Step catching the ball because obviously that's an intricate thing. But in terms of competition, and again, another thing to consider is you have a true running backs coach now in Mike Jenks. Uh, you know, with all due respect to Tim Drevno, who had to be a running backs coach when he's by trade an offensive line coach, you know, that affects the psyche of the players. And I think that Jenks uh, has his own idea. He knows what a running back in the system should look like because he's been in the system. So that's going to be an added variable. So I think it's going to be a unique competition, not all that far from the quarterback competition, although the quarterback competition is going to be the spotlight uh, competition. No, I, I'm with you. I, I'm really fascinated, kind of, to to see what happens um, with the running backs. And in the air raid, it does seem like, especially at North Texas, and even looking at a little bit of of Kingsbury at Texas Tech, uh, with that sort of up tempo, no huddle, you do get a sense that that they feature one back uh, for for at least drives at a time, potentially multiple drives. And I know a lot of those schools, they they're not loaded at the running back position like USC seems to be um, right now with with three potentially really high impact guys but it does seem like you you feed one guy and feed one guy and, and let him kind of go at the defense a little bit and so to your point it seems like and again we haven't seen what the USC version of this looks like yet uh, but it does seem like the potential is there to really get somebody going and let them take over a game a little bit but we're going to switch to wide receivers now, talking about taking over a game. You have some absolute game breakers uh, in, in terms of wide receivers on this team. I am, this spring, kind of fascinated to see if, if Michael Pittman is out there you know, fully going and uh, taking on a leadership role that you would assume one of the, I mean, very few seniors on this team. And he was a guy that potentially could have gone uh, early to the NFL draft, chose to come back. Uh, I think he has the potential. We talked about, you know, needing maybe a quarterback to step up during the summer. I think Michael Pittman has the opportunity with the way he plays and the impact he has both in practice and in games. I think he has a real potential to kind of step up and be a leader uh, for this team. And then in the wide receiver position, um, you, you have – Guys coming back, Tyler Vons, Bayless Jones, Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman. Those are, are four guys who have proven it a bit on the field, um, some more than others, but all of them certainly with potential. And I think 
having seeing those four guys on the field for potentially a majority of snaps um, this this spring and fall. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with those guys. I don't know if you have had, you know, four types of receive, you know, impact receivers like this in this kind of offense, you know, at your North Texas's and, and Texas tech and, and that kind of thing. So watching the wide receiver position for me is going to be, I, I would hope it's going to be fun this spring to see those guys. Well, I, I think for the wide receivers, this is really going to be a real boon for them. Uh, I, I feel that what we're going to see is that their potential, I think, is really going to be tapped. First of all, Kerry Colbert is now coaching the wide receivers. He's an all-star receiver. Okay? He knows what he's doing. He played under the system of Norm Chow. He knows about route running. I don't feel that this year is going to be like throw the ball deep and hope, like I've mentioned before, that somebody's going to high point the ball. I don't feel it's going to be just someone's going to throw a fade and, uh, you know, they're going to, you know, it's going to be a timing thing. I really think that what's going to be exciting about it for the receivers is they're going to not just be great athletes that can catch the ball. They're going to be route runners. They can get open. And I'm excited when these guys catch the ball, where they, where they end up splitting uh, secondaries, finding scenes, finding holes, and others catch and run. And I, I think it's going to be a benefit to them uh, when you look at them and the systems they came out of high school, it's more reminiscent of the traditional route tree and that, that sort of stuff. So I think from the standpoint of organization, I think these guys fit perfectly into the system. That's not to say that they wouldn't have fit perfectly in other systems, but I think in this case, again, I hate to belabor the point, this is a system. So uh, it'll be exciting to watch them develop. Yeah, I, and I think to your point, uh, you know, looking at last year, you know, maybe there's double digit times. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to be exact kind of thinking back on it. But it, it just didn't seem too often that someone was catching the ball, you know, maybe on a crossing route or on a deep post or something where they could catch it in stride running with a little bit of separation. It seemed like if if it wasn't a catch and a quick move on a defensive back who was right on them to get free. There were very few times that, you know, uh, I, and I can think of Amon Ross St. Brown a, a couple times catching it sort of on a crossing route and having some room to move. And again, it seems like this system really sort of develops ways where that is happening quite a bit. And so I think the, the wide receivers are probably pretty excited to jump into this. I, I mean, I can't imagine a wide receiver, you know, disappointed that you're moving uh, to an offense that, that relies on them. Um, and so I think. No, I, no, I think it's going to be a great boom. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a win-win situation. Um, I think we're going to see stuff that we haven't seen in a while in terms of uh, explosiveness and moving the chains and that, that sort of stuff. So, I, I think the, I think those players uh, probably are, are all fired up to go in the spring. And I think it's worth, you know, I, I mentioned a few guys there, but Devin Williams coming back. I mean, he, he certainly showed flashes uh, as a freshman, and th this is one of those – spring ball is one of those times, okay, you've gotten your feet wet a little bit, now let's see, you know, that next step. And, and a little – you know, not that there's anything wrong with not coming in early, but you certainly would love to see guys like Drake London and Muneer McLean, Kyle Ford, that wide receiver group. And obviously, Ford is going to be sort of up against the clock with his injury in terms of being able to come back this year. But 
uh, going to have to wait to fall till fall to see some of those guys. But I think there's plenty of talent among the wide receivers that we're going to see out there in spring. Uh, and, and I think there's a bunch of moving to tight end. There's a bunch of potential talent. I mean, obviously the question that hangs over the tight end position and has been for a couple years now is the injury status of Daniel and Bebe. Uh, again, Clay Helton said during his signing day press conference, still not fully cleared, still doing work on the side. Um, I, at, at this point, you sort of have to wrap your head around the idea that that, you know, that's not going to happen. Anything that he gives you is going to be a bonus. Um, but you have a couple tight ends with experience coming back in Eric Romahoke and, and Josh Follow. Uh, and then you have the early entry in Jude Wolf, uh, a potentially big-time tight end from, from St. John Bosco. So that's still a few guys at, at the tight end spot um, that – that can play and can give you something. I think what's going to be interesting is how much the tight end actually factors in. And and we heard from Clay Helton that he loves this system from Graham Harrell. And he specifically mentioned that they run a lot of sets that feature the tight end, not necessarily as a tight end. Sometimes it's just tight ends that are split out a little bit and they run a lot of the, the wide receiver routes. So I think, when you have a couple guys who can run, I mean, Josh follows specifically who can run against linebackers. That could be an interesting thing to watch. And I think how that tight end position does, and we're going to say this about every position, how that tight end position looks this spring is going to give us a little bit of a glimpse at what they can do in the fall. Well, I think uh, again, uh, not to belabor the point, but it gets back to credibility. We've heard the, we're going to throw it to the tight end for, how many years now under Helton? Yes. And it doesn't happen. After, after about the third year, it's like being a teacher. How many times are you going to hear the kids say, I'm going to do my homework? After about the third time, I'm not handing it in. <laughs> basically look at the kid and say, you're not turning it in. And the reason you're not is because you just don't want to. The reason they don't emphasize the, the tight end is you would have to say at this point, they don't want to. Now, here's the rub. The rub is they just recruited two really outstanding tight ends out of high school. Okay. I think that the tight end, uh, based on how they – it could be more of an H-back, which is fine. I mean, some of the best uh, tight ends FC had uh, during the John Robinson era, Vic Rakshani would be one that comes to mind, uh, you know, uh, in motion that could, you know, come out of the backfield but also be a, a lead blocker. I think that it's important that they, they throw to the tight end uh, because how do you recruit tight ends if you don't throw it to them? You know, and, and the concern there, again, is the credibility. Uh, I think as far as Daniel Motorbaby, I, I, I have no belief he's going to play again at SC. And I'll tell you why. First of all, his brother, has, you know, he's in the transfer portal. You know, he's out. You would, you would figure that, hey, two brothers would want to play with each other on the same team. So Josh is out. I, you know, I know that he's, you know, has been hurt, but you know, he didn't get uh, maybe as much playing time as his his heart wanted him to play. But after about two years of Daniel, who I think it was a fantastic talent, uh, potentially if he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, injured. But this same injury has gone on way too long, and I, I don't, I would be shocked if we see him again uh, on the field. Yeah, I, I mean, it, like I said, it's sort of that that 
wishful thinking thing with him and to get a talent like that on the field would be nice. But at a certain point, you're, you know, the injury has just gone on for so long. Uh, and then, then let, let's jump to the last position on offense. And we talked about quarterback, maybe getting the most eyes. I don't know if there's a more important position than the offensive line. And the, the thought I think with this air raid, with the quick throws and all that kind of stuff is okay. Maybe, the importance of the offensive line drops down a little bit. No, nobody's winning the Pac-12. Nobody's winning a national championship. Nobody's winning a, a big-time bowl game with a subpar offensive line. I don't care what system you're running. You need an offensive line that's working together and working well. Uh, and I think this offensive line has pieces to do it. I think you're going to need to see some jumps up from people. I think and I'm sure you'll jump into this, the center position is going to be maybe – we talked about the quarterback position being the most watched. We talked about running back position being interesting. The center position is right up there with those two for me. I mean, you have a couple guys in Justin Dedich and Brent Nealon. Brent Nealon, who played a little bit last year, you got a little bit of a, a sense uh, of, of what they can do, and it feels like the future is really bright for them. And seeing them, I would assume the two of them are going to go in and battle for that center spot. And then you've got a lot of guys sort of from the same class, that 2017 class where you were really able to load up. And now guys like Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Jalen McKenzie, these are guys that can jump in um, to that spot. And you've seen, obviously, uh, Andrew Voorhees and Austin Jackson there for a while. So I think you have a chance this spring to see the offensive line come together and, and gel and you're going to get a lot of those guys playing together, but still that you, you're going to have some battles along the offensive line for certain positions. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the off the system again is going to cater for this offensive line. Now the question is that offensive line, you know, will look good against the Oregon States. Okay. Because of just the talent gap there. But what happens when they play the Ohio States? What happens when they play Washington and Seattle? Right. Uh, you know, these. this is when, you know, <laughs> how shall I put it here? Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know, it all sounds well and good when you're beating up on the Sisters of the Poor, the Pac-12. But what happens when you, when you, when you, when you see a blue blood, Ohio State or Notre Dame? Uh, they, they put things into perspective. Um uh, I, I like the tackles. I like. I think that Austin Jackson should be an all-star tackle. Um, I'm really intrigued by uh, Jalen McKenzie, who's reworked his body. I think he's going to be a, uh, an improvement over Chuma Adoga I, 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 in the in the long run. I think it's going to be a, a thing. What I like about the center position is both those guys really compete. I'm not so sure that if Brett uh, Nealon had been the starting center uh, last season that they wouldn't have been more effective along the offensive line. Not because I don't think that Toa Lobendon isn't a good player. He was out of position. Uh, you know, every snap was an adventure. Uh, it cost him a game against Cal. And, you know, that, that, that falls on Helton. He, sh- he, he should have made a change uh, for the good of the team. But I think in, in Deitch and in Nayland, you've got two players that I think are elite players. They, are, they really compete really compete at the highest level. Uh, the question becomes the guard situation. Is Voorhees uh, going to become a better offensive guard? Is, 
you know, Vera Tucker going to take the next step? Uh, if anything, the question will become uh, depth at the offensive line. Does that mean that if something happened to a guard uh, or tackle that a guy like Clayton Johnson could come in? Uh, where does Liam uh, Douglas fit in, a young player? Uh, but for a front-line group, I think they're going to be okay. The question is, is how physically dominant can they be uh, depending on the system? You know, is the system going to allow them to be physical? Um, I always thought one of the one of the most interesting things last year about the Pac-12 was, you know, nobody knows who the starting tackles are uh, for Washington State, but their offensive line was pretty darn good, and they're sending guys to the NFL. And what do, are they developing their players? Are they recruiting for their system? You'd have to say yes. And uh, I think with Drev Noah, that uh, offensive line coach, I have a lot of respect for him. I, I think he can get the job done. Uh, you know, he's basically a Harbaugh disciple, power football. You know, maybe he can instill power football in this system. You know, it's I'm kind of reserving my, my thoughts until I see it. So it'd be interesting. Right, and, and I think reserving thoughts is is – absolutely what we have to do right now because nobody's sort of seen how it works. The one thing I do, like you mentioned sort of developing that power mentality and with coach Drevno there on the offensive line, what I think is interesting with the potential of this system is that when you are, if it's a run call or if you're checking to a run, you're probably doing that because there, you know, there are five guys in the box there, you know, you're, you're never, most of the time you're not running against an eight man front here, a seven man front because the way you're aligned doesn't allow the defense to line up like that. So you would assume that when they're running, they're running against, you know, a, a either an outman box or an evenly matched box. And so now you're at the point where you're not trying to run, you know, zone where your five offensive linemen are blocking eight guys at the point of attack. And so you would assume that any run play would have a little bit of an advantage for the offensive line in getting after it. The, the one other thing you mentioned that you, that you that has to be touched on is the idea that if you lock up your five starters, it's tough because at a certain point you almost have to sort of blindfold and, and pick a few guys out of the starting lineup because you're going to get dinged. Injuries are going to ding guys at, at every position. And so the idea that, oh, we're going to set these five offensive linemen and just play every game with them is maybe a little bit of a pipe dream. Now, some teams do get lucky enough where they go through the whole season like that, and and you hope that that's the case. But I think building that depth, you had a late ad last year in, in Bernard Shermer. Again, you mentioned where is Liam Douglas right now when, when we see him, how has he changed? Uh, I'm with you on Jalen McKenzie. I think he has the potential to be very good uh, and, and potentially step into that offensive line. And then a couple of seniors, where are they going to push – for starting time, or are they going to push to be a, a really good backup? And I think that's what you saw with a lot of the, the Pete Carroll teams when they had that offensive line. It, it, they had that the sixth guy, the seventh guy, who could step in and it was seamless. And again, those aren't the guys that are better than your starters, but they were so close that you could, you could plug them in and you were still fine. And, and I think you need to find maybe some answers like that uh, along the offensive line this spring. Uh, and so I think that's where 
the offensive line gets because I, I think like you said with Austin Jackson, you know, okay, you, you go head over uh, to left tackle, you stay there for the year. So there are guys like that where you assume that you've got an answer. Um, but then seeing the guys push them, I think that's really what you want. Uh, and then again, it's, it'll be that there's a, a you're going to add a true freshman there this spring in Gino Quinones. Uh, he played a lot of defensive line, Clay Helton has mentioned him consistently when he's been able to talk about him as an offensive lineman. I don't think he's a guy who steps in and plays right away, but you want to get a sense, especially with this recruiting class. We've talked a ton about this recruiting class is not your 2015 recruiting class where you just hit on all these, you know, five-star, four-star guys. Uh, There are some guys and Gino is one of them where it's like, okay, let's see, how he develops, let's see how he fits into this team. And if he brings sort of some attitude and, and that kind of stuff with him, which I think you're going to get from some of the offensive linemen coming into the fall, uh, he's a guy where as a true freshman where you don't expect him to play right away, he can still give you something on the practice field. And I think some of the true freshmen are going to have to do that. You're not getting, you know, a massive amount on offense uh, in this class. We mentioned – uh, Keaton Slovis at quarterback, Jude Wolf at tight end, and then Cunyones at, at along the offensive line uh, here in the spring. But you're, you're going to need a little bit of a, a push from some of those guys, a little bit of a feistiness um, to really get this. Well, thing. I think they're going to have to. Uh, you know, one of the things, Eric, that I think that uh, we have to pay attention to is those first six games. Uh, you know, Fresno State's going to have some turnover personnel, but if you look at the games that follow that one, they're all basically have physical defenses. Okay, uh, Utah, uh, Notre Dame, Washington. You know, you don't know the attrition rate of, of of injuries as you pointed out for an offensive line, and in the first six games, they're going to be tested physically. We're going to know after about the third game just how physical. Uh, uh, or beat up this team is going to be because uh, they're not going to have a luxury of, uh, you know, having an off, an off day. I mean, even playing at BYU is going to be no walk in the park because they're going to have all those guys who have been, who are much older players having gone on Mormon missions. Uh, it's going to be at BYU. Uh, you know, they play nasty. Uh, and we're going to find out and they'll have a nasty defense. Uh, so this this idea of developing depth and an attitude is really really critical in the spring. And, and I was heartened by hearing Clay Helton say that 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 a lot of those offensive linemen uh, are are stepping up during the winter workouts uh, because I think you need to leave spring knowing all right that the offensive line there is some talent there and we are going to be it's cohesive and we're moving forward there. I, I think overall spring's always interesting because you don't want, especially the veterans, right? You don't want to push them into injuries or, or anything like that. You don't want to lose anybody in the spring, certainly. But I, I think, and, and this will hit on the coaching thing we talked about earlier and some of the leadership and at every one of these positions, you, you need to see a little bit of a, a self kick in the pants um, from, from a lot of this roster because you really want to leave spring thinking, all right, this is a different team. You know, you had Lynn Swan list all the things we need to make changes for and what we want to see differently. And so I think coming out of spring, going into spring, coming out of spring, all through spring, 
that's where you're going to start to get a sense of, okay, are things different? And, and we talk about individual players. We talk about position groups or, or a few players in a, in a, at a time. But for me, it's that. It's, it's when you go to spring practice, what team does this look like? Does this look like something that could lead to the 2018 season? Or does this look like one of the seasons where guys are really getting after it and it feels like there is some positive momentum coming up? For me, that, that's sort of the overwhelming thing, especially on offense where you just weren't able to fully get things going I don't need things to click day one. I understand there's going to be, you know, there's going to be plenty of issues putting in a new system and how timing works and all those little things that you're going to have to figure out along the way. But it would be great to see that momentum where, where you're coming out going, things are getting more crisp and guys have really bought in and this is what an ascending program looks like again. Well, I think what you have to do, and I think we've learned this uh, the last couple of spring practices, we can't get too over overworked up about what's looking good sure. and what's looking bad. Because if you remember last spring, everyone was saying this is going to be one of the best defenses we've seen. Well, this is one of the best defenses we've seen got reamed by UCLA and a, and a transfer back out of uh, UC Davis. Right. Uh, and And the idea was, in the end, you could honestly say the defense looked good in the spring because the offense wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, until you really play somebody, you really don't know how good a team you have. What you can see in the spring, though, is individual development. You can watch the quarterbacks, how they, how they adjust, how they read the defenses, who throws the ball for pick sixes and who throws the ball for touchdowns. You know, you can, you can see that. You can see a running back, you know, uh, break tackles and that sort of stuff. But from a team standpoint, you know, we, we, don't, we, we don't know. Uh, we, you know, a lot of it's based on uh, I think they look good. Well, they look good against each other. You know, if your offense is really moving the ball up and down the field, is that because the offense is that good or the defense isn't that good? So, you know, you're just playing against yourselves. But, you know, in terms of fumbling the ball or, you know, offsides, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, uh, SC getting better at discipline, and that that reaches into all phases. Offensive wise, are they going to have offsides? They're going to have holding penalties. You can see that in the spring. And what are they going to do about it? You know, that's as you mentioned. You know, all these things are supposed to change. You know, the culture, the scheme, the personnel, the discipline. Well, discipline means when you get to the line of scrimmage, you don't jump offside. So that 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 that, that you can measure. You can measure those sort of things. Right. And I think that's sort of what, what we're both thinking. Just sort of a, a, is, is there a crispness developing? What is the attitude? You know, that sort of thing, just a general feel of it. And I think that's going to be really fascinating here as we head into spring. So that we're, we're going to wrap up the offense with that. Uh, next week, obviously, we'll head, head into the defense. Um, talk a little bit. We'll, we'll preview uh, USC defense heading into spring ball. So uh, that, that's it for us this week. For Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast.